This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Oh, some of you have noticed something a little different. Is there something going on in the city? Yeah. Actually... I wore that on purpose, not just because of the World Series, but because it's going to tie into something, an object lesson I want to teach us this morning. Before I jump into that, I want to say good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Are you ready for church? Good. Are you ready to learn? I got to tell you, I'm so excited about what I'm going to share with you this morning. And it's, the message isn't really for me. It's a message from God. But uh, it's a message that if you came with a heavy heart this morning, I pray you leave with a lighter heart. And if you came with a light heart, I pray that you leave with a better perspective on life than when you came. There's a passage in the Bible that goes like this. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, what's the third one? Love. And the greatest of these is love. So I was working on this message. I I just got this wonderful directive from God. He said, you know, Ron, in those three things, faith, hope, and love, faith and love get a lot of press time. But hope doesn't get much coverage. So I'm going to preach an entire message this morning about hope. And we're going to dig into it. We're going to talk about how to live a life of hope and what a difference it can make in our lives and, and I pray that when you leave this morning, you not only understand hope, I pray that when you leave, you have been given the tools to be able to live every day in hope. Are you ready for that? Absolutely. Before we jump into that, if you will, from the inside of your program, if you will retrieve the long skinny connect card says connect card on one side. On the other side, it says start here. That's one of the most important pieces of printed literature from our church. And the reason is it, it facilitates a lot of the communication that enables us as a church to do what we're supposed to be doing. Because our basic purpose is to help people get connected with God. And so it begins by giving us the ability to connect with you. So down in the contact information box on the start here side, would you please fill that out? If you come here and you've already given us your contact information, then just put your name down there. That's all you need to do this morning. But if you haven't given us your contact information, I want to ask you to to do that this morning so that we can begin uh, to help you get connected with God. We'll handle your information with complete integrity and, and full confidentiality. We're not going to give it away to anybody. On the back side of that card, there's sort of three sections. The top section is a place for you to request information. Uh, well, actually four sections. The next section below that is a way for you to respond to what I'm going to teach you this morning. And by the way, if you look, there are six of them. We don't usually give you that many, but I'm going to walk you through that in a few minutes. Underneath that is a place for you to put down prayer requests and so forth. And in the bottom, there's a place for you to, to indicate that you'd like to participate in an activity or something that we offer at the church. 
So that's how all that works. It, it flows the communication, but it begins with your name and address. We are in the middle of a two-year project called the Take Hold Initiative, and it has a key verse. And as a church, we're learning to do this. Take a look at the video screen. Here's the key verse for this two-year initiative called the Take Hold Initiative. It says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Ready? Let's read together. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I want you to underline the words take hold. Because there's an inference there, and the inference is, if you don't do something to intentionally take hold of this eternal life, you're going to miss it. This is not something that just automatically flows into your life. It's something you have to reach out and take hold, which is why this is called the Take Hold Initiative. You have to put forth the initiative or you miss it. This eternal life to which we are called is the life that Christ has for us. But I also want you to notice something else. He doesn't say take hold of it in eternity. When's he talking about taking hold of it? Right now. In my notes, I put take hold now. Because that's the deal. That's one of the reasons we come to church is so that we can learn how to reach out and take hold of this life that Christ has for us. And I want to tell you, friends, hope is a really, really, really big part of that life. So to help us get started, I'm going to, I'm going to draw a picture up here on the flip chart. And, and it's a real simple picture. You have it there in your notes. We have a dash and we have a line. If we were going to diagram the timeline of your life, that is the timeline of your life. It's not proportional, okay? But the dash over here it represents the part of your life that you are living right now, right here, today. This is not just today. This is your entire life. For some of us, that's going to be 70, 80, or 90 years. For some of us, it's going to be 30, 40, or 50 years. And, and even though we don't like to think about it, for some of us, it's going to be less than 30 years. You and I don't know how long we have, but I can tell you this. If you think of this line as extending all the way to the end of the parking lot out there, that's eternity. How many of these little dashes do you think it would take to comprise that line. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. But there's a problem. This is the only part of our life that we see. Correct? Yeah. And I struggle with that same thing. Let's start with four observations that, that we should make. Okay? The first one is this. And that is that the line deserves more attention than the dash. Would that make sense to everyone? Since the line is by far the biggest chunk of our life, and we're all going to live it somewhere, someplace, we should be putting much more uh, time and attention and thought and concern into the line than we do the dash. The second thing, by the way, we have two objects this morning. We have the giant's hat, which represents the line or the dash. What do you think? The dash. 
I don't know what's. All right. Is that better? Let's hope so. All right. Um, I have a question for you. Who won the World Series? You only got you only got three seconds to answer the question, but shout it out if you know. Who won the World Series in two thousand seven? Yeah. You know why? It's not really important. I know. I just poured cold water on everybody's dreams, right? But the truth is, it's just part of the dash. Believe me, you're not going to sit in heaven and say, Hey God, let's go back over the World Series in 2012. God's going to say, tell me all about it. And, and, you're going to, and, and, and He's going to say, tell me the part that was really important. Well, the part that was really important is that our guys ran around the bases more often than their guys did. <laughs> we all stood up and cheered like something great had happened. Yeah. This, my friends... Is this dash or eternity or both? It is both. Okay? Very clear. Okay? So, number two, not only does the line deserve more attention than the dash, but God will make right in the line, during the line, everything that was wrong in the dash. Boy, if there's any one thing I could convey to all of us this morning, it would be that. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But it's the fact that if we could get understand that one of the things God is going to do here is He's going to right all the wrongs that took place here, we would be far less preoccupied with all the wrongs that have been done to us. Because you're going to get righted. Number three. What we do in the dash determines what the line will be like for us. Friends, that's so important. That's the message all the way through Scripture. What you do in the dash determines what the line's going to be like for you. You know, Dave Ramsey understands this when it comes to money. I have a son who understands this when it comes to money. He understood it in high school. I stood with him one day and I said, Hey, Anthony, I knew he was really hungry. And I said, Anthony, let's stop by and get a hamburger on the way home. He looked at me and he said, Dad, do you know that if I just invested that five bucks when I'm 16, that I'm eating a $175 hamburger? Now, granted, that's not usual for a 16-year-old kid, right? But he got the idea. He got the idea that whatever you do here gets magnified hugely over here. I I just want you to know that. What you do with the dash determines what the line's going to be like for you. And you put all three of those together and you get number four. Number four is this. We should live the dash every day of the dash with the line in mind. Does that make sense to everybody? Now I want to tell you, as you go through the Bible, God often 
juxtaposes the dash and the line. We're going to take a look at our core Bible passage today, and you'll see it. It's back and forth between the dash and the line, the dash and the line, and God's always directing us toward the line. Because He knows the flow of our culture and the flow of our spirit is always toward the dash. And God wants us to think about the line. Take a look at our core scripture. It says, if we are to share His glory, is that dash or line? That's line. We must also share His suffering, dash or line? Dash. Yet what we suffer now, dash, is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. That's line. For all creation, that's the dash, is waiting eagerly for the future day, that's the line, when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. That's the dash. But with eager hope, that's looking to the line, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation, that's the dash, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of what? Of the line. As a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. You ever get tired of sin and suffering? I don't care how long you've been a Christian. In fact, I think sometimes the longer you're a Christian, the more tired you get of sin. Not that you do it more, you actually do it less. But you just hate it more. Because you realize how it chips away at life and how it hurts other people. And the damage that it does. He goes on to say, We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We are given this hope. I want you to circle, underline the word hope and actually go back and find it earlier in the passage. It's in there a time or two earlier. He has given us this new hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So we're going to look at the biblical principle of hope. And from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, there's hope on virtually every page of the Bible. And when the Bible talks about hope, it's not cross your fingers and, and do it lottery style. Okay? Here's what the Bible talks about when it talks about in terms of hope. Hope always lets God's promises determine the context for today's struggles. What you think about that for a minute? Hope always lets God's promises determine the context for today's problems. Every single person sitting in our auditorium this morning is living with two realities. You have the realities of your current struggles, whatever they are. It could be you're struggling with a teen. It could be you're struggling with your spouse. It could be you're struggling with a boss at work. It could be that you're struggling financially. It could be you have health problems. It, it really doesn't make any difference. As long as you're living on planet Earth, you have some struggles. That's just the way it is. So that's one reality you're living with. On the other side, you have the reality of God's promises. Kevin's going to break one of these out next week, so I won't preach it for him. 
but he's going to break out a promise that God makes that he makes everything work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a great promise. So every morning when you get up, if you focus on the struggle of today, that's the reality you're focusing on, you're going to focus on the dash. And you'll be preoccupied with whether you're getting treated right, you'll be preoccupied with all sorts of other things, or you can choose to live in the reality of God's promises and, God's, and, 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 and eternity that he's promised you, and you can walk in that context. Hope always points toward the reality of God's promises. So we can always have hope. But the Bible says we can actually do one better than that. We, God has given us, as creatures that have been created in his image, you know, unfortunately, again, I, I love dog lovers, but dogs don't live in hope. Okay? That's why they counter-surf. Because they live in the here and now. And the meat's on the counter right now. Got it? Cats don't live in hope either. They just get up on the counter. Right? I know, I know. But the deal is, you and I have been created in God's image. God's given us the ability to do things no other creature can do. Why? Because we have His image in us. And part of that image is the ability to live in hope. And if we're going to live in hope, there are four things that we have to do. If we'll do them consistently... They will provide a culture of hope in our life that will, tend, <coughs> that will tend to give us the power to deal with whatever today's struggles are in the context of God's promises. Number one is this. If we're going to live in hope, we have to evaluate the setbacks of today in light of God's promised victories and rewards. Years ago... A pastor said to me, Ron, one of the best tests that you can ever take any event through, and by the way, I just took you through it, one of the best tests that you can take any event through is the five-year test. What difference will it make in five years? By the way, what year did I ask you who the World Series champion was? 2007. I took you through the five-year test. And sure enough, the results of that test would indicate that whoever wins the World Series, it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of life. Because five years later, you couldn't even remember it. Now, what I didn't realize is when that pastor was telling me to take something through the five-year test, it was actually a scaled-down version of the real test. Because the real test that God says to us is, why don't you evaluate today's setbacks in light of eternity? What difference will it make in eternity? And if it's not going to make any difference in eternity, it's not worth getting jacked up about now. It's not worth getting depressed about now. It's not worth getting discouraged about now. It's not worth burning through your marriage over now. It's not worth yelling at your kids over now. Am I talking about where we live? Yeah. So if we're going to live in hope, we have to run everything by the eternity test. We're going to evaluate today's setbacks 
And your first test will be on the way home sharing the road with other idiots. Okay? <laughs> Evaluate your setbacks. You laugh at that. I remember sitting behind a car at a red light. Pastors never think this stuff, right? Sitting behind a car at a red light because we were in a 40 mile per hour zone and I was stuck behind this car in a single lane where you couldn't pass and the car moseyed about 20 or 25 miles an hour and sure enough, the light turned yellow right in front of them and they slammed on the brakes and so did I and I sat back there thinking, that idiot cost me 90 seconds of my dash. Nobody here ever thinks like that, right? Yeah. But you know, in eternity, I'm not going to be up there with God going, I want you to look up that guy that drove 25. No, because it doesn't make any difference. So the first thing we have to do, and by the way, friends, that's a habit. That doesn't come naturally, does it? It's a habit. You're going to get to choose that habit over and over and over and over again this week. And I pray that you begin to cultivate the habit of hope. Because if you'll allow that stuff to direct you to eternity, instead of sitting there fuming about 90 seconds gone from your dash, it will point you to eternity. And you'll be grateful that in the scheme of eternity, that 90 seconds doesn't make any difference. Because when it comes to eternity, how many 90 seconds are there in eternity? Billions. Not that big a deal. Number two. I will order today around eternity's priorities. By the way, these all get tougher as we go down the list. I will order today around eternity's priorities. Can I tell you as a pastor a couple of things? Number one, I dearly and deeply love every one of you. But it bothers me, and hang on just a second while I correct this. It bothers me for you when I watch you make choices where you put the dash above the line. I pray daily. I pray daily when I watch when I watch people make decisions, let me give you two, two things, and I could give you probably 20, but let, just let me pull two things out of the air. The first one has to do with tithing. Okay? I know it sounds very self-serving for the pastor to talk about everyone giving 10% of their income, but I, I want you to know there's a reason why God calls you to do that. Because God wants you to get on the 10% eternal savings plan. He clearly says that you can send your treasure on ahead of you. And the people who take God seriously and begin to, to, to order today's priorities around, around eternity, they do that, and, and many of them do even more than that, because they recognize however much they send ahead it will determine what that line is like. And they're sending a bunch up there because they're really looking forward to what they're going to be able to do in the line. That's how God says it works. I don't make that up. 
That's how God says it works. And then I watch other Christians and they're sort of stuck between buying an RV or buying a huge house or going on a huge vacation and they cheat the line so they can enjoy the dash. I'm not worried about them going to hell. God's not going to throw them into hell. They just made a really poor investment because they invested in the dash at the expense of the line. Let me talk to you about another thing. There's basically two ways that you can send stuff ahead. And God calls every Christian to do both. And the first is through tithing, and the second is through ministry. Whatever, whatever we do, in the name of Christ, with a good attitude. Okay? Do I need to explain that? Okay? Whatever we do, in the name of Christ, with a good attitude, God says, I'm keeping a record of that. And when you leave the dash, and you go into the line, I'm giving you a personal reward. And he says, it even goes down to, listen, Jesus said this himself. If you give even a cup of cold water in my name. Is that a big deed? Friends, that's next to nothing. If you give even a cup of cold water in my name, I have a reward waiting for you. That's pretty awesome. That's the God we serve. And he continually says to us, pay attention to what you're doing in the dash. Order this dash around these priorities. And you, the amazing thing is, you not only love the line, you end up loving the dash. <laughs> Your life in the dash is way more fun. And then you have the line to look forward to. Number three. I need to trust God to right all wrongs, either here or in eternity. I realize that some of us get stalled right here. Some of us have encountered a wrong in this life, and we are frankly mad at God for not making it right. And we sit around and we sort of count the days, and we think that somehow we've, we have suffered a huge injustice, and we prayed to God about it, and somehow He hasn't done anything about it, and then though we would never stand up and shake our fist at God, or maybe we would, but most of us probably wouldn't, and we actually think we're bitter at somebody, if we stopped and thought about it, we're actually bitter at God. And that burden's heavy, and the longer we carry it, the bigger it gets. And God says, hey, how about living in hope? How about just setting down that burden and giving that one to me? And recognize that I'm going to right all wrongs. Let me give you an illustration. Jesus himself. First Peter chapter 2. If you want to write that down on your margin and read it sometime this week, it'll give you a great perspective on this. But in First Peter chapter 2 and in Hebrews chapter 12, you can read that one too, the Bible says there's an amazing thing that went on in Jesus' mind when Jesus was hanging on the cross. By the way, was that a a pretty good size wrong. Jesus never did any sin, was only kind to everyone, healed, 
raised people from the dead, taught them the truth, left heaven and came to earth, and yet he was falsely arrested, he was falsely tried, he was falsely accused, he was falsely convicted, his body was brutalized and beaten, he, he had chunks of his back torn out while he was flogged, they put a crown of thorns on his head, they drove spikes through his hands, and yet he never did anything, he didn't deserve any of that. And yet, the Bible says, there were two things that went through Jesus' mind as he hung on the cross. And the first is, he had no thoughts of retaliation, not because the temptation wasn't there, it was. He had no thoughts of retaliation because he committed himself to the one who judges justly. You got it? Jesus lived in hope because he decided that God would make right every wrong that had been done to him. He didn't have to. He didn't have to keep score. He didn't have to look over God's shoulder to make sure God was getting it done. Right? And then the second thing the Bible says, that it was because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross demeaning or minimizing or diminishing its shame. What was the joy? Well, the joy was he was just hours and in some cases minutes from purchasing the salvation for every sinner. He was just hours from making it possible for you and me to go to heaven. He was just hours from watching you and me be able to walk out from underneath the guilt of sin. He was just hours from being restored to heaven, his rightful place. He was just hours from being crowned the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in a great coronation ceremony that took place in heaven after he ascended. It was all of the future things that were going to take place in the line that gave him the hope and the joy to live through the worst of the dash. Number four. I will invest some of today anticipating the experiences that I will have in eternity. I just want you to write this little note underneath there, okay? I want to paint a word picture for you. I want you to daydream in the fields of heaven. You know, I sat in my office as I was working on this message. I sat in my office and I began to daydream about what it would be like to be in a high mountain meadow on a picture-perfect day, because every day in heaven is a picture-perfect day, in the new heavens and the new earth, with the creatures all about, none of whom were afraid of me, because this is heaven and not earth, and to look at the crystal clear water flowing through a little brook that was meandering through a high mountain meadow with the backdrop of a beautiful mountain range and the fresh mountain air blowing across that meadow and breathing into my lungs that perfect air and thinking about, wow, how long do I get to take this in? I don't have to go to work on Monday. 
I can just hang out as long as I want. And, and I just began to change the scenery. I began to think about what it would be like to go home. Have you ever wanted to build a dream house? Probably all of us here have wanted to build a dream house. Don't you stop and think for just a minute. You have a father who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Because in my father's mansion, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Can you imagine Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, who know you perfectly, building a place for you to live that has everything in it that they know you like anyway. Friends, you're not getting a tract home in heaven. You got it? God's not going to meet with you and go, we got three plans. Pick out the house plan you like. No. Every house, every dwelling place is custom designed for one of God's kids. But you know something? We get way too caught up in whatever that little thing is you and I are living in now. Right? We get caught up in the dash. We forget all about the line. So we come to a close. I want to read you one other passage. And again, I said to you that oftentimes the dash and the line are just juxtaposed to each other in Scripture. It's in there over and over and over again. Take a look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Dash or line? Are you sure? That's the dash, isn't it? They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vast outweighs them and will last how long? Forever. Is that dash or line? That's the line. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. What's that? That's the dash. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. What's that? That's the line. For the things we see now will soon what? Be gone. But the things we cannot see, they're going to last forever. So here's six very practical ways for us to respond. The first five need no explanation other than what we just taught. I will evaluate this week my current struggles in light of God's promises and rewards. I pray that you'll do that. Number two, I will invest my, in my eternity by tithing. I'm going to start ordering today's priorities around eternity's realities. Number three, I'm going to volunteer in ministry. Number four, I will trust God with a personal wrong I've been carrying. And I'll let him solve it. Number five, I'm going to take some time this week to daydream in the fields of heaven. I hope you do that. By the way, if you don't know how to do that, go buy a book simply called Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn, and read it. Several in our church have. You read that book, and you won't have any trouble daydreaming in the fields of heaven. And then last of all, I'm going to choose to become a Christian. Because, friend, if you don't make that choice... The line is never good. Never good. 
Because the only way the line even begins to be good is if you accept Christ as your Savior. I'm going to pray for all of us that will respond, that we'll hear God's voice, and that this will be a great week of stepping forward in hope. And I'm going to pray also that those of us who haven't chosen to become Christians will make that decision today. Father, even right now, as we talk with you, we're just reminded of how blessed we are that you've told us about the relationship between the dash and the line. And Lord, we come confessing already that far too often we get preoccupied with the dash. Lord, would you help us to live in hope, to begin to daydream in the fields of heaven, to begin to send up our resources through volunteering and tithing so that we have something really to look forward to because we have conveyed to you over and over again that we're not living for the dash, we're living for the line. And Lord, for those of us who have never accepted you, who have never said, I know I can't get to heaven on my own, but I know Jesus can get me there. Would you help us make that decision this morning? I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.